Lesson 9 for November 19 to 25 Intimations of Hope Sabbath afternoon, November 19 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again this week and we've been dealing with some rather distressing things. We've been dealing with issues relating to life and death and fairness, but we know there is hope because we know that Jesus did come to provide that hope and to provide the salvation that comes with the hope. We pray that as we open your word this week that your Holy Spirit will guide us, refresh us with your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Job chapter 13 and verse 16. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Let's read that again, Job thirteen sixteen. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Man is the only animal, wrote British essayist William Hazlitt, that laughs and weeps, for he is the only animal that is struck with the difference between what things are and what they ought to be. End of quote. Things certainly aren't what they ought to be. However, for a Christian who lives with the promise of the second coming, there is hope. A great hope of what things will become, as we read in Second Peter 3.13. They will become something so wonderful that we, with sin-darkened minds, can barely imagine it now. This is a hope that the secular mind, in all its narrowness and parochialism, has lost long ago. This week, as we continue to explore the question of suffering in the book of Job, we will find that even amid the unfair tragedy that befell him, which made no sense and was not justified, Job could still utter words of hope. What was that hope? And what does it tell us that we can hope in as well? Sunday, November 20, Forger of Lies Our text for today is Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Whatever one wants to say about the man Job, one can't say that he was going to sit there amid his sorrow and quietly listen to what his friends were throwing at him. On the contrary, much of the book of Job consists of Job's fighting back against what he knows is a mixture of truth and error. As we saw, these men were not showing much tact and sympathy. They were claiming to speak for God in justifying what had happened to Job. And basically, they said he was getting what he deserved, or that he deserved even worse. And one of these lines of thought would have been bad enough, but all three and others were too much, and Job answered them back. Question. Read Job chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. What approach is Job taking here as he responds to what is being said to him? Job 13, verses 1 to 14. Behold, my eye has seen all this, my ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I would speak 
to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. For you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning, and hear the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for Him? Will you show partiality for Him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when He searches you out, or... Can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Will not his excellence make you afraid, and the dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes, your defences are defences of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak, then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? We saw in chapter 2 that when these men first came and saw Job, they said nothing to him for seven days. Considering what eventually did start coming out of their mouths, this might have been the best approach. That's certainly what Job thought. Notice also, Job says that not only are these men talking lies, they are talking lies about God. That's interesting in light of what happens toward the end of the book in chapter 42 and verse 7, which reads, And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Surely it would be better not to speak than to say things that are wrong. Who among us hasn't experienced how true that is? But it seems that to say things that are wrong about God is much worse. The irony, of course, was that these men actually thought they were defending God and his character against Job's bitter complaints about what happened. Though Job remained at a loss to understand why all these things came upon him, he knew enough to recognize that what these men were saying made them forges of lies, as he said in Job 13, verse 4. So to finish today, when was the last time you said things that were wrong and that shouldn't have been said? How can you learn from that experience so that you do not make the same kind of mistake again? Monday, November 21, Though He Slay Me When we started this quarter, we went right to the end of the book, and we saw how well things eventually turned out for Job. We saw that, even amid his terrible suffering, Job really had something to hope for. In fact, living when we do, and knowing the end of the whole book, that is, the Bible, we can see that Job had a whole lot more to hope in than he could possibly have imagined at the time. But when his children died, his property was taken and his wealth was ruined, Job didn't have the advantage of knowing how things would turn out. What he knew instead was that life had suddenly turned nasty. At the same time, even amid his bitter laments about wishing he hadn't been born or wishing that he had gone from the womb to the grave, Job still expressed hope, and this hope was in God the same God who he thought was dealing so unfairly with him now. Question. 
Read Job chapter 13 verse 15. What hope is presented here in this verse? What is Job saying? Job 13.15 Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Even if he will kill me, I will trust him. What a powerful affirmation of faith. With all that had happened to him, Job knew that very possibly the final thing, the only thing that hadn't happened to him, death, could come, and God could cause it too. Yet, even if this happened... Job would die trusting in the Lord anyway. In the uh, Adventist Review and Sabbath Herald, October 20, 1910, Ellen White wrote, The riches of the grace of Christ must be kept before the mind. Treasure up the lessons that his love provides. Let your faith be like Job's, that you may declare, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Lay hold on the promises of your heavenly Father, and remember his former dealings with you and with his servants, for all things work together for good to them that love God. End of quote. From a purely human perspective, Job had no reason to hope for anything. But the fact was, Job wasn't looking from a purely human perspective. If he had done so, what hope could he possibly have? Instead, When he makes this amazing affirmation of faith and hope, he does it in the context of God and of trusting in him. And so to finish today, a logical question could be, how did Job retain his faith in God amid all that had happened to him? Read Job 1 verse 1 and James 2, 20-22. How do they help answer this question and What should the answer tell us about the importance of faithfulness and obedience in our Christian life, which we'll discuss in Lesson 13? So first of all, Job 1 and verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And James chapter 2 verses 20 to 22. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Tuesday, November 22, Intimations of Hope. Job 13.16 reads, He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. This verse follows right after the one we read yesterday. How does it affirm even more the idea that, despite everything, Job had hope, and that his hope was in God? What an interesting line to follow what came before. Even if Job were to die, even if God killed him, Job still trusted in his God for salvation. Though at one level it's a strange contrast, at another it makes perfect sense. After all, what is salvation other than liberation from death? And what is death, at least for the saved, other than a quick moment of rest, an instant of sleep, followed by the resurrection to eternal life? 
Is not this hope of the resurrection to eternal life the great hope of all of God's people through the millennia? This was Job's hope as well. Question. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 11 to 20. What is the hope presented to us there, without this hope? Why would we have no hope at all? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Also, after this strong affirmation in salvation, Job says that the Hanef will not come before him. The root means profane or godless, a word with very negative connotations in Hebrew. Job knew that his salvation was to be found only in God, only in a life surrendered in faithful obedience to him. That's why the evil and godless man, the Hanef, didn't have that hope. Most likely, Job was expressing what he understood as his assurance of salvation. Though Job faithfully offered animal sacrifices for sin, we don't know how much he understood of their significance. Before the cross, most faithful followers of the Lord, such as Job, surely didn't have as full an understanding of salvation as we can have living after the cross. Nevertheless, Job still knew enough to know that his hope of salvation was to be found only in the Lord, and that those sacrifices were an expression of how this salvation was to be found. Wednesday, November 23, Hope Before the World Began Who among us, having gone through what Job did, could utter such a powerful affirmation of hope? His words are an eternal testimony to the reality of his life of faith and obedience. Job had hope because he served a God of hope. Even amid all the sordid stories of human sinfulness from the fall of Adam and Eve in Eden in Genesis 3 to the fall of Babylon at the end of time, Revelation 14 verse 8, the Bible is a book brimming with hope, brimming with a vision of something beyond what this world itself offers. As Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 210, the world has been committed to Christ and through him has come every blessing from God to the fallen race. He was the Redeemer before as after his incarnation. As soon as there was sin, there was a Saviour. And 
who is the Saviour, other than the great source of our hope? Question. How do these texts affirm the wonderful hope expressed in the Ellen White statement found in today's study? Well, first of all, we'll look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Second Timothy one eight. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And first Peter one verses eighteen to twenty. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. These texts teach the amazing truth that in his foreknowledge, God knew even before the creation of the world that humanity would fall into sin. The Greek in Second Timothy 1 verse 9 says that we have been called by a grace given to us in Christ Jesus before eternal time. This is a grace given to us, not according to our works. How could it have been our works if we didn't even exist then? But through Jesus. Even before we existed, God put a plan in place that offered humanity the hope of eternal life. The hope didn't arise after we needed it. Instead, it was already there, ready for us when we did need it. As Christians, we have so much to hope for and to hope in. We exist in a universe created by God who loves us, as we read in John 3.16, a God who redeemed us, as we read in Titus 2.14, a God who hears our prayers, Matthew 6.6, a God who intercedes for us, Hebrews 7.25, a God who promises never to forsake us, Hebrews 13.5, a God who promises to raise our bodies from death, Isaiah 26.19, and to give us eternal life with him, John 14, verses 2 and 3. So to finish the day, Romans 8.31 reads, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? How can you make this hope your own, even amid whatever struggles you are facing now? Thursday, November 24. Images of Hope. Question. Read the following texts. What hope does each of them reveal? And watch the progression. First of all, Genesis chapter 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. 
And Leviticus 17 verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And John chapter 1 verse 29, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Galatians 2.16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. And Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but, with the temptation, will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And Daniel 7.22, Until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. And Daniel chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be for a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And Matthew twenty four twenty seven. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And finally, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So to finish today, follow the progression of thought presented in these texts. Together, what do they tell us about the hope that we as Christians can have in Jesus? Friday, November 25. From cover to cover, the Bible is filled with wonderful words of hope. John 16.33 reads, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Matthew 28.20 reads, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Psalm 103.12 reads, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And Romans 8.38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And Genesis 9.16, The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And First John 3.1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. And Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. These texts are just a small portion of what is revealed to us in the Word about what our God is like, and what He offers to us. What reasons would we have for hope at all, were it not from what is revealed to us in the Bible? And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. Number one, what other Bible texts speak to us of hope? Which ones are especially important to you and why? Two, of all the specific doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which ones do you find especially helpful? Three, amid the personal trials and sometimes tragedies and hardships of life, how can we learn to rejoice in the hope that is presented to us in the Bible? Why is it so easy to get discouraged by events, even with so much hope presented to us? What can we do on a practical level to keep this hope ever before us and to rejoice in it? And four, Ellen White writes in Mind, Character and Personality, Volume 2, page 492, Talk hope and faith and thanksgiving to God. Be cheerful, hopeful in Christ. Educate yourself to praise Him. This is a great remedy for diseases of the soul and of the body. End of quote. Why is praise so important in helping us to stay hopeful in the Lord? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled The Devil's Lies Part 2, a continuation of our story from last week. Rui began reading the Bible on his own. In this way, he discovered references to the Sabbath day. Rui knew that the Sabbath was Saturday, for the words are the same in Portuguese, but he didn't know of a church that worshipped on Saturday. Then a few weeks later, Rui heard a radio program during which the speaker offered free Bible studies. He enrolled and began studying the lessons. Almost immediately, Rui began finding answers to the questions that had troubled him for so many years. But, before he made a decision about what he was learning, Rui's study was interrupted when he met a young woman. Rui put aside the Bible studies and spent his time with his beloved. Eventually the couple married. At last he felt fulfilment in his life. But, Whenever the couple attended church, Rui felt the old conflicts arising in his heart. He no longer believed that Sunday was the biblical day of worship, and he now understood that the dead are asleep, not alive in some other place. These religious tensions spilled out into his family life, causing unrest and arguments. Rui feared that if he followed his convictions, his marriage might be over. Rui learned that his wife's cousin was a Seventh-day Adventist and that the Bible studies he had taken were sponsored by Adventists. Everything fell into place. 
Suddenly, the questions he had asked all his life had answers. But still, he faced a dilemma. What would his wife say if she knew of his interest in this church? Rui began watching an Adventist television network while his wife wasn't home. When she went to visit her parents for several weeks, Rui attended the Adventist church. He found a spiritual home and was convinced that this was what God wanted him to be. Rui struggled to tell his wife, and when he finally told her, she didn't take his religious fervor seriously. She had seen him struggle spiritually since they had met, but Rui knew that he had found what he was looking for. He studied further and then asked to be baptized. I'm at peace, he says. The devil's lies no longer plague me, for I have found the truth. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.